I hear him coming to the cage. He's just trying to poke, I'm trying to light up his. Welcome back to Voices from the Staircase, Toronto's very own greatest podcast in the city. Today, I got Detective Sean Garris. Yeah. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Detective Constable. De- Detective Constable yeah, Sean yeah. Garris. If I was a detective, they'd be paying me a heck of a lot more and I'm not getting enough. <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah, the difference? yeah. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, yeah, so it's, it's so Detective Constable is really just a rank. Yeah. Uh, there's no pay grade. Uh, so you can go from uh, constable to detective constable. So when you go to plain clothes, um, you get the title of detective constable. As soon as I go back to um, plan, uh, uniform, I'm a constable. So it's just a, it's just a interchanging title. No 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 uh, salary increase or anything. So you're really. plain clothes. Uh, currently, yeah. Nice. How how long were you in the the, the police force? Um, well, currently uh, two decades plus a year. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Twenty one years. <laughs> yeah. All in uh, Toronto. All in Toronto. Um, I was born and raised in London. Uh, I spent some time in the, the correctional system there mm-hmm. uh, with young offenders and then uh, with adults. And then I, I, I actually applied to Toronto and they hired me. So you've seen the times change. Yeah, uh, quite a bit, tell you the truth. And, you know, it, 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 there's been yeah, a lot I've seen, a lot. Yeah, I can imagine two mm-hmm. decades in a year. That's, that's Times change in that, in that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we appreciate you for coming today. Mm-hmm. Like today, the episode today, like we want to basically like obtain information from you mm-hmm. about the law and the other side of the law, mm-hmm. and also give our input and how we feel like our the the justice system in Canada oh, you know, coming okay. from where we're coming from. You know, mm-hmm. our podcast we started the podcast to basically for the youth. You know, yeah, give a positive message for the youth. Yeah, I came I came across you. I came across your your podcast and stuff from a video I seen mm-hmm. where you were talking about the Toronto rap, mm-hmm. Toronto rap, and you were talking about how the rappers, a lot of these, a lot of the younger generation, they become rappers, and then from that they feel like they have to join a gang to live up to their raps, uh, to live up to their. Have I mean, you seen that video? You remember? Yeah, that yeah. No, I you know I posted up that video. Um, one of the, my favorite things to actually kind of. I got involved, you know, when I was in the uniform uh, capacity because I worked the majority of my career I spent in working in Jane Finch, um, and you get to know the the kids. In thirty-one that, division, yeah, thirty-one division. Yeah. And you get to know the kids, um, you know, in the area and the ones that are causing no, you know, problems, the ones that aren't causing problems either. But um, so I watched a lot of uh, the drill music videos, uh, especially you know in the latter part of my career because that's when it started popping up. Yeah. But I really wanted to know like what was occurring, why it was happening. And, you know, cause some of the music wasn't that good. Some of the music was good. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I started doing some research on it and, you know, the more and more I, I looked into it, I found it pretty fascinating. And, you know, um, in the, in, in the community that I worked in, 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 in you know, there's various uh, literature that, that comes along with this as well in Chicago area or other areas, but, uh, drill music is, is is a way out of the community. A lot of these kids in these communities don't want to be there. They they want a way out because, um, you know, either they're they believe they're they're poor, um, or they, you know, and they're 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 surrounded by negative influences. Yeah, you know, whether the streets and whatever it is, drugs, gun violence, uh, they just want a, a way out. But um, you know, and a lot of the traditional means uh, that are there are blocked. 
um, whether it's education and, and education, you know, can be, you know, let's take, take for instance, the situation, say you have a kid that's got um, a learning disability. Yeah. He has to go to school and they have to figure out he's got a learning disability. He, he might even, you know, say, screw it. I can't, I'm, I'm not learning very well. I don't know what's going on. And he quit school and he goes to the streets. Um, that conventional means of, of uh, success is not there for him. Um, maybe he has a learning disability and he has get, he gets help, but then the school says, well, we don't have the proper teachers here or people to work with you here. We're going to give you a bus pass and you have to travel downtown. Well, what 14-year-old kid is going to say, okay, I'm going to go down there. They're going to tell you to pound yeah. salt and screw you. And, you know, I'm talking about some kids that I know, right, that, that where that's actually happened. And they go to the streets and they, you know, they, they hang out. And then all of a sudden, you know, Somebody gets a hold of them that's already involved in the gang subculture and teaches them how to to do things and you know, but the um, so they you know they but they're searching for for ways of success whether it's a job sometimes they can't get a job maybe they you know they're not old enough maybe they're um, you know their parents you know um, want them back in school you know I don't want you working don't don't dare get a job. So they meet this kind of, I guess, uh, this the stress that they, they have. It's it's a blockage. So they look for other ways of success. So sometimes it gets drug dealing, um, and that could be dangerous too. And it's not that lucrative. I've talked about that on my on my uh, uh, TikTok as well. Um, but they go to drill music, and you know, drill music is great. They want to be famous because they've seen um, rappers like Chief Keef. You know, he, he his music exploded because of I believe it was Kanye West picked up one of his tracks. Um, so they've seen, you know, okay, that happens here. You know, I can do that too. And it's happened here in Canada. We've had rapper or sorry, uh, rappers picked up by uh, big name uh, artists here as well. Um, but the problem with it is, you know, it's, it, it can be a very dangerous because what ends up happening is back in the day in, in my day, cause I'm, 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 I'm older. But when you had a when you had music and you had you produced music, you had to get it in front of a um, a record dealer. Yeah. You had to get to get a record, an agent or something like that. Nowadays, the kids have it a little bit easier with that because they don't have to. They can just put their video on YouTube, YouTube, Instagram, boom. Instagram, and then they get the hits and they get tons of hits. And then the record record producer from there can say, you know what? Um, they've got millions and millions of hits. Let's go talk to this guy. Let's sign him. Yeah. Right, because he's he's already got an audience, or her. Uh, but the problem is too, in order to get those hits, and this isn't just me talking. Of course, I've I've studied this this, and there's a great book. I think it's called Ballad of the Bullets, um, and I can't remember the author's name. But um, what has to happen when for is they have to be legit. They have to have credibility. Um, so when they're talking about you know uh, selling drugs or trapping. Um, or they're talking about, you know, drive, not drive bys don't happen so much anymore, but, you know, killing their, the, the ops or something like that. Yeah. Uh, they, they have to be authentic about that. Yeah. So they have they to be content. there uh, and that gains them the followings because the neighborhood knows that they're full of crap if they're, if they're just talking about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these guys, you're right. They're a lot of them turn to rap. Like for us. But back in the day, it wasn't like that. Like rappers mm -hmm. couldn't make it from Canada. Mm -hmm. You know, now yeah. it's a lot easier because of YouTube and stuff. Yeah, and they feel like they have a chance in doing it. Mm -hmm. And it provides, it provides. I feel like it provides a way that these guys could never imagine them making it out of where they're coming from. 
in yeah. terms of like music now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it could be it could be it could be good and bad at the same time. Yeah, depending you know, on how you take it. There's some kids. There are some kids that are actually doing it real well, and they still talk about the uh, the uh, you know the the way they grew up. They talk about the gang culture stuff like that. They they're doing okay. But the, when it becomes problematic is when they start dissing other yeah, other yeah, uh, yeah. the op, the ops, right? And <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that creates a lot of chaos, chaos on the street, and that's what gets them killed. Um, and we have tons of talented uh, rappers that were murdered um, as a result I'm, of gang violence. Too much, mm-hmm. too much. You know any rappers like off the top of your head in the city? In the city? Yeah. Um, I'm just curious. You said that you like some or you don't like some. Could you give us some examples of maybe some songs or artists that you, you do know, like? Or- I like Jay, uh, NHS Jay. I really did. I um, Unfortunately, I mean. Yeah, he was nice. Yeah. He was um, nice. I like his flow. He was a kid that we, uh, that that I, that I knew too as well. So yeah. it was, it was, it was, it was t- tough to see that happen uh, to him. He had a lot of talent. Really, sure. a lot of talent, and I think he could have went somewhere. Sure. Um, I mean, just charismatically too. Like he was, a, he was a good-looking kid. His attitude was always good. Um, I mean, mind you, he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't. He was friendly, but not too friendly to me because of the uniform. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the division. I don't want to give anybody, you know, any, no, no. you know, think that. Oh no, he was, you know, um, you know, he was talking to the police, but he wasn't. No, but he was a he was a genuine kid. He, yeah. He, yeah, he was, he was very talented, man. It's a shame. Yeah. Um, speaking of you yeah. studying drill music, mm-hmm. um, there's like right now in pop culture, a lot of like cases in states in America and uh, in Canada, um, people are studying lyrics and stuff. Mm-hmm. So in your time when you were studying, like listening to the drill music and stuff like that, how often when you're looking at these videos were you actually getting obtaining new information, or was it just confirming something that you knew already, stuff like that? Oh well, I tell you the truth, being uh, you know getting used to. Uh, some of the terms and the slang yeah. for me it was it's kind of tough i'd have to look it up so it, you know <laughs> i i think there's other guys that, that that may may do that you know you can you know some of you, you can decipher here and there and you, you know they're calling out one group versus the other but you know um that kind of stuff is is good to know because you you know you get the heads up on you know okay these two two areas are beefing be careful mm-hmm. right um so a lot of the intel is from music. No, I wouldn't no? say the okay. intel is from music yeah. because then I mean I there'd that. be a huge more there'd be a lot more focus on it. I yeah. tell you, um, I don't I don't think there's a lot of intel to be mm-hmm. garnered from it because okay. it's it's out there. They're talking about yeah. you know stuff, but I I think that these these kids are smarter than 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 that, right? Hundred mm-hmm. percent. They're not they're not going to talk about things that they don't. And, you know, I think in the states they've they have. Some drill music artists that have talked about their crimes. I have I've never encountered that up here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I want to start off talking about youth being arrested. Mm-hmm. Like youth. Mm-hmm. Like in between the ages of like let's say 13, 12, 13 to like seventeen or something. Like teenagers. Teenagers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to like if they commit a crime, them going to they get sent to like Wyo jail or something. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about like I don't know how I feel about youth getting sent to jail? Yeah, like young. Like if it would help them, like a, a child going to jail. Well, I can tell you. So I, I worked in the young offender system when I was in London, um, phase one, which is kind of uh, it's 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 before uh, so twelve and to about fifteen years of age. Um, they're schooling there. The kids are kind of you know they're, they're they have to attend the classes there. So that's good for the, in that aspect. 
Uh, there's programming for them is there. And there's some kids that actually uh, really thrive in that environment because it's not really like a jail is. It's, it's, it's close custody. Yeah. There's open custody as well. But classrooms, there's a gym. Uh, there's programming. There's not correctional officers in there. You're child and youth workers more so. Uh, and I worked at a facility called Genetic Detention Center for Youth, and it was right beside Fanshawe College in London, London, Ontario. You wouldn't even know it's a jail or a youth jail when you're in there. Um, but the program was really good, and, and that's where I started kind of getting involved with law and, and you know, kids mm -hmm. in conflict. Mm -hmm. um, for me, as a, as a child youth worker at the time, um, I found it very um, rewarding to be in that environment because I could actually have conversation with these kids and get to understand what's going on in their lives. Um, and, you know, not just understand, but try to help them kind of get through their problems now. Yeah. A lot of these kids would come back because they had a shitty, shitty time at home. Like um, they would, they would commit crimes so that they weren't didn't have to be home. I, I had a friend. Uh, he's a actually a UFC fighter. He's a multiple champion named French Frank Shamrock. Um, but before he became a fighter, when he was a kid, he um, was abused at home. He was um, beat up by his parents. He was. Uh, uh, locked in the closet at his home. He was kicked out to the garage in the wintertime in California. That's, you think that's not a big thing, but a lot of rain. Um, and he thought this was kind of normal, a normal life, until he went to, he, he, one day he, he was throwing rocks at a train and he got arrested. Had to go to juvenile detention there. And, um, you know, while he was there, he was asking, you know, the people there, is this normal, is this my life? And they're like, buddy, that's not normal. That's, that's not how you should be treated. This is other kids telling him this. And then, you know, um, one of the, he's telling me, one of the um, uh, workers came in and said, you know, if you keep on doing this kind of crap, you're going to get arrested. You're never going to go home. Well, a brand, you know, a, this light bulb went off in his head and he's saying, I don't have to go home. Great. So he kept on committing crimes so he wow. wouldn't go back to, to home because it was such a horrible life. So for some of these kids, um, it is not su such, it, it's a better place, which mm -hmm. is kind of sad. It's a better place for them to be. Um, but on the flip side too, I mean, there are institutions where um, these kids are just go into and they just learn how to be a better criminal or uh, they're recruited by gang members um, or, you know, they become more immersed in, in the gang subculture. So uh, is it the right place for him? Some yes, some no. Um, you know, it, it all depends what they can take away from it. That's the unfortunate thing, right? Um, yeah, for our uh, communities like ours in Toronto, mm -hmm. like community people that are coming out of metro housing and like the more poverty neighborhoods, mm -hmm. I feel like the kids who go to jail, like the younger generation, like youth in between like 12 to 15, 16, 17, they, they go to jail and either two things happen. They come out of jail and they say, I never want to go back. Mm -hmm. Or they come out of jail and they're like, I earned my stripes now. I went to jail once. Now I can get fully involved. You know? Yeah. You were you, you you did child and youth worker before, before yeah. you joined the law firm? Yeah, it was my favorite. Favorite. First? Favorite job. If I would have, uh, if they paid more, I would have stayed. Yeah, I wanted to do yeah. that too. I, yeah. I, want, I think I went to go to school for that. I went for social work, but I went to go for that oh, too. Oh, nice. But um, do you feel like that helped you? Like, like, because I see you're trying to be involved with the youth, you know, and talking to them. You, you feel like that helped you as a police officer? Be a better police officer? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, I think because of policing is so fast paced, you know, you you go from call to call to call. I think you, what ends up happening is you kind of try to, you know, I'll get done with this, go, go to the next one, this, go to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. Uh, and you don't get to know people sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, it was kind of like, no, I, 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 I've always 
had conversations. I've always, you know, wanted to hear somebody's story. Um, so at first, when I started doing it, it was kind of like, well, you know, we're just running from call to call, from call, putting in a report, putting in a report. But it wasn't really until I got involved in our community response unit and to our, our neighborhood unit that I was able to go out, not tied to a radio, and, and actually get involved with the community and, you know, put programming together. You know, where, uh, you know, I, I, I would go in and I, you know, at one of the high schools and I, I coached the wrestling team. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, which was, you know, so much more rewarding for me because, you know, when you're an athlete and then you stop competing, what you want to, you still want to be, do something with the sport. So you kind of live vicariously through your, your athletes, but to see some of these kids and they're, you know, all they want to do is, is perform. They want to, they, they want to make you proud. You know, when you, you go in and you help these kids and they do that, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of neat, but I, I, I always love the, the contact with, with, with um with the individual you know not physical but just the just having a conversation like we're having now yeah. you're learning off an individual you know to to walk past them you'll never you'll never know anything about an individual right i feel like that would that would make a better cop yeah way that would make a right better um, cop cuz the, the human side of things you know yeah well it's it's you know it's it, it does two things one it does for me i get to know people in the community and i get to know more about them in in you know, what makes them tick, right? Like what's, what's kind of, uh, how do I understand the lifestyle? Yeah. And then they get to understand me as well because they can ask me questions about policing and say, you know, I can say, well, this is the way I operate. This is not every police officer operates the way I do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they have very different, there's different variations. And sometimes you, you run into a bad situation. Uh, and I can tell you, I, before getting on policing, I ran into two cops that, that, could have soured me for the, my entire life, but they, it didn't, I didn't let it happen. And that's one of the things when I'm doing my job, I got to remember that, you know, that I don't want to ever be those police officers. Um, I can tell you they weren't from Canada. They is when I was going to school in the States. And yeah. the other one was actually, sorry, the other one was London, Ontario, but not, not here in Toronto. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know if all police don't know like that. I can't put, Having a convert, like a cop having a regular conversation with you, say he comes for a situation, say there's like a situation where a cop gets called to where you're at, mm-hmm. and they're coming for you, say that the, the, the family argument or anything, mm-hmm. you know, and they come, instead of coming where they're, they're, they're just coming to like attack you or something mm-hmm. or just like treat you like a criminal right away, mm-hmm. a cop that talks to you makes a big difference, has a normal yeah. conversation with you, tries to understand you, you know, yeah, it makes a big difference. In, ter- in terms of like communication and how people look at cops. Yeah, I think it used to be the way where, you know, police would go into a situation and then they would want to answer uh, certain questions. They, they were taught to, okay, well, I need the name, I need the date of birth, I need the address. And that was the first questions that they were taught to ask. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very impersonal to kind of, uh, you know, just kind of come out of the, come out of, you know, open the door and say, you know, I, I, A, B, and C, answer them now. Yeah. Uh, it's so much easier t- to gain that information once you start a conversation. Yeah. You can say, "Hey, listen, you know, uh, we've, you know, after we've done talking, well, like I can say, you know, you know, um, I'm going to be doing a report. I'm going to need your date of birth and, you, and your and your name. Um, you know, if you could help me out with that, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, it takes it just takes a little bit of effort. You know? De-escalation is, yeah. is major. Yeah, very major. major. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, growing up, um, my first interaction with police wasn't like uh, it wasn't a pleasant one. Like. Mm-hmm. So I think like my first was like maybe like when I was in middle school and like or maybe early high school. Mm-hmm. It was with Tavis, um, the Toronto anti-violence I think intervention strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people in like my area, people that look like me, 
have trauma because of that unit yeah. and stuff like that. And that's the first, like around people my age, that's the first police interaction they've seen. And it wasn't pleasant. Like I felt like we were getting targeted mm-hmm. and not in a pleasant way. They, they didn't want to hear our story. They already came to us with something in mind. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of trauma from that. A lot of people are still traumatized from the travesties. Yeah. Yeah. In Toronto, yeah. Like if I, I'd be telling people, I'm going to sit down with a cop. They'd be telling me, why are you going to sit down with a cop? You know? Exactly. Their first reaction, why are you sitting down with a cop? Yeah. You know? And it, I, I feel like them saying that is coming from past traumas, their experiences. Yeah. Me personally, my last five, six experiences, the cops have been great experiences. Yeah. You know? Like they were, they're very, like they had conversations with me, you know? Yeah. They didn't come on a, on a rowdy tip or anything, yeah. you know? But yeah. Tavis, how do you feel about Tavis? <laughs> uh, well, it's been disbanded, uh, yeah, it you know, and and I think there's a, I think the community spoke, and mm-hmm. and I think that was the reason for it to to go. Um, I think we're operating in a much better way now. I mean, mm-hmm. the neighborhood officers have replaced that. I think that, yeah. you know, with, you know, as as years pass, police service, you know, we make mistakes, but mm-hmm. we but we learn from the mistakes, and I think you know, um, you know, with those units i think the the chief made some decisions to remove it and um replace it with the neighborhood officer i'm going to tell you the neighborhood officers uh you know the guys that i know uh and the way they operate are, um, i mean it's it's completely different mm-hmm. unfortunately the you guys may have had to experience something oh, like man. that the, but the, growing up yeah the Tavis, you dealt with a lot mm-hmm. the community dealt with a lot i'm telling yeah. you you have cops come to the neighborhood to shake you down beat you up mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff like unnecessary stuff you know mm-hmm. so yeah, thank God it's gone. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's a yeah. big difference now. Well, and you know what? I, I like being in the community. You see, the community is, is a lot more relaxed when they know and they see a, a, a neighborhood officer. They know that they can have a conversation with that person. Mm-hmm. They know that they can bring their, um, you know, their complaints to that person. They know that that you know that and that person will follow through as well. So. Uh, it, you know, be, you kind of come become sort of like a, a community member, yeah. um, a caring individual, and I think that's, you know, what the public expects from police officers nowadays. Is there an officer assigned to every neighborhood? Um, well, there are. So the the Toronto Police Service Board has identified various neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and that's where the neighborhood officers are allocated for that. Um, it's expanding um, because the I mean it's been so successful with the community. Yeah. Um, like I know that in 31 division, we had, I'm going to say three areas. I think we have five now. I might be, I might be, might be wrong, but I think it's five now. And they're doing some amazing things too, as well. Like, um, I've talked about this on, on my live, but it's the, the safe play initiative that we've done. And in, in so if you're familiar with Toronto, Shoreham court, Toronto, uh, yeah. right up by the Driftwood area. So it's a gang impacted neighborhood. And as a result of uh, you know some of the gang violence up there, there's 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 people in the neighborhood that don't come out of their their townhouses um, because they're scared that they their their family members, whether it's kids or wives or, or husbands, might be um, harmed by from collateral damage. Um, so, well, the police service up there, the 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 31 division, what they're doing now is they do this safe play neighborhood. Um, uh, initiative and they go into the community two hours a day uh three times a week and uh they spend time there so that the people can come out and enjoy the the, the park enjoy the splash pad uh, we bring in um grassroots agencies that come in that, that can help people out 
Uh, there's businesses that come in. We've had uh, the Brampton Batman come in with his motorbike. We had the Star Wars <laughs> characters come in. And the kids absolutely love it, right? But um, one, of the, one of the best things come out, not just the smiles that the kids are having and, and, you know, and things like that, but um, um, when I was talking to our, our sergeant at the time, uh, um, he's a staff sergeant now, but um, Dave Haynes, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him or not, but Dave uh, was able to get the stats on, on the gang violence, uh, you know, from prior to, to after the programming. And we had actually reduced uh, the gun violence in that area th by 30% just that's by amazing. being there wow. and by being a different type of officer. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a question I had that I want to ask you before you came. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's pretty quiet. I don't know if there's um, as much shootings as before in the past couple of months, but I always wondered anytime the city would get hot, like there'd be a lot of shootings in different neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. I'd wonder like, why can't there be a police cruiser like in every neighborhood, just mm -hmm. like two shifts, you know, night shift, day shift, just parked in every neighborhood. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Cause when I was working in 31, uh, myself and, um, my partner at the time, we would actually take spare cars and we'd park them around the neighborhood mm -hmm. just so that, that you could provide that deterrence yeah, to gang yeah, members. Exactly. And it did work, uh, but the problem is, is when we, um, you know, with with manpower, sometimes the, the you know they would need the car or that we were using, um, so we didn't always get it. Yeah. But it, it, you that's know, what I, that's what I figured. Manpower, yeah. Stuff. Mm -hmm. You guys had enough uh, police officers to do that. I have another question. This is what I, this is one of my buddies asked me. Okay, and he wanted to directly ask you this question. Mm -hmm. People that come from these neighborhoods. These uh, the uh, lower income neighborhoods, metro mm -hmm. housing and stuff, dangerous neighborhoods and stuff. Mm -hmm. We guns are not legal in Canada. No. Say they're from these neighborhoods and they're not involved in the streets or anything, mm -hmm. but just because they're from the neighborhood, like they, if they go outside, like you said, there's a chance of them getting shot or, or something happening to them. Mm -hmm. You know, what if, what if, like what would you? They can't carry a gun. You know, they'll no. be arrested. Mm -hmm. What could you advise someone like that? Like they can't afford to move out the neighborhood. Like it, they're basically stuck in their, their circumstances, you know? Yeah. And just, just to add on that, like defending yourself would, it would seem like it's a human right mm -hmm. because the, we live in Toronto and the police are already spread so thin with overdoses and domestic violence mm -hmm. and shootings. Yeah. So you're walking home from school, basketball practice, whatever the case might be. And someone shoots you you have no way to defend yourself you're a good guy you don't you're not killing ops or anything like that yeah. but you just want to live to see another day yeah and i feel like unless bill gates and them make teleporting work mm -hmm. there's no way for the police to get to you and to help you so like i feel like as canadians we got the healthcare thing right but i feel like a little bit down south in america like just to protect yourself stand your ground laws yeah, and things like that me, I think it would work here. What, what do you think? And there's more, uh, to add on to that, right, there's more innocent people. There's more people that are not involved in the streets getting shot than people that are involved. Like, you see innocent people in these neighborhoods getting shot because they're clueless. They're just moving around. He like, knows. They call them yeah. mesquine packs, like yeah. innocent packs. Like, yeah. He's, yeah. he's not uh, a You've guy. You've heard of like mesquine. Oh, you, you killed a mesquine. You heard that, that term? No, I haven't heard mesquine that Mesquine means like an innocent person. Like, someone yeah. has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. There's more of those type of people getting shot or killed because they're clueless of what's going on in the city yeah. than people that are actually involved in the crimes, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I, you know, it's uh, it's tough. I mean, like self-defense is, you know, it's it's regulated by the criminal code. Um, so, I mean, I mean, that's 
that's the rules of the land. Um, I mean, you have to do what you have to do to protect yourself within a reasonable means. Um, but when people aren't playing fair, I mean, yeah. you, you know, you're bringing a, a gun to, to that, you know, you, you pretty much, you got to kind of just, if you're in a situation like that, you're going to have to say, okay, well here, here's my money. Here's whatever you need. Mm -hmm. Take it. I, I got to go. But if it's collateral damage, like from a gang, you know, warfare, like some of these gang members don't care about, you know, collateral yeah, damage. Yeah. I mean, and the only thing you can do is like these people are doing in these communities is saying, you know what? Um, when you leave for school, you're coming right back home. I'm coming to pick you up. I'm dropping you off and picking you up. And then you're staying in the house. You're doing your homework. But what kind of life is that for That's you? That's exactly the way of living. It's horrible. It's horrible. So what we do, and again, this is, I'll go back to the safe play, but that's when these kids come out. That's when they can actually play, can have a good time. So that's what we're looking to do is, is take that initiative, you know, into other uh, divisions, uh, especially with the the Engage 416 program that I, that I work with. We're trying to get that in other areas that are impacted by gang violence so that we can give those opportunities back to the people in the community. And what happens from there is that you know, you get the individuals that live in the community to start to start believing in themselves again, start start taking their community back. They start to realize that they don't have to become a prisoner in their own home anymore because that's one of the things we found from... We, we held 30 um, gang prevention town hall meetings in Toronto's most gang-impacted and, and lowest equitable neighbourhoods. And as when we listened to the individuals in these town hall meetings, that was one of the things that they said is they were scared to come out um they, they they wanted you know us there to, to to stop it but they were afraid you know they were afraid to come out on their own and yeah, do anything 100 percent, i could imagine i want to ask you um you've heard of uh i want to go back, circle back to the youth and jail. okay you have you have you heard of um Kwasi Kwasi peters i think his name was i am very familiar yeah mm -hmm. Him? i was just watching a youtube video on on uh on him on on Wasi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He him like I was I was watching a video recently too. Mm -hmm. In that video I, I seen that when he was twelve years old or thirteen years old, I think, he came out of his house, he seen somebody get killed. Mm -hmm. Like he's seen a dead body. Um I believe that caused trauma on people, like especially yeah. at that young yeah, PTSD. age. Child, PTSD, 100%. exactly. Like you yeah. see you see mil you see guys that join the military and stuff and they see uh, that happened over there war yeah. death and they come back and they're not all there in the head when they come back mm -hmm. so he's seen that when he was a kid i've seen in a video 12 13 years old he came out of his crib seen a body on the yeah on the on the bridge i think and then after that a couple years later he gets arrested he gets arrested and i think at his sentencing mm -hmm. he was a youth, the judge said he's a monster mm -hmm. and i think it's on i read in the article a couple years ago too that was on that was on record the judge calling him a monster yep and then in that video also, it said, that I think it was the therapist or psychiatrist that come to the jails. Yeah. They talked to him and he told them, if the judge thinks I'm a monster now, imagine what I'm going to be when I come out. I'm going to be way worse, you know? Yeah. And then look how his life ended. Yeah. I think he, um, I think that was Devin Jones. Devin Jones was the uh, his teacher at uh, Brookview Middle School. Mm -hmm. uh, and he also, he's a very uh, big into um, helping the youth in that area. Mm -hmm. Um and I think he said to Devin, or Devin said that uh, he'll, you know, after he saw that, uh, the killing, he was that kid will never be the same. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, Devin, <clears throat> you know, of course, living in that, that, but not living, but working in the Brookview and 
and having direct relations with with the kid mm-hmm. just like the video is it said like they're not telling anybody anything new or releasing any information yeah, yeah, the video the yeah. video was said that you know that uh, that was the case but um anybody that sees anything like that you know i've seen a lot of death mm-hmm. and I, I it's probably the worst part of my job but for a young kid to experience that type of chaos that kind of malevolence um it's inexcusable yeah that's what i want to ask you like mm-hmm. he was a He's seen that all as a child, and mm-hmm. he's coming from where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot of youth just like him in Toronto that like I've seen somebody get shot next to me. Yep, I've been a target of gun violence before. Mm-hmm. You know, just being out. Yep, like it's a norm. Like like I'd be in a circle with people in Toronto right now. These are grown adults. Mm-hmm. Four out of five people have been shot before. Mm-hmm. Everyone has lost uh, people to gun a violence. decent amount of yeah. friends, like close friends. Yeah, like the trauma is real in the mm-hmm. city. See, for youth like that, when the judge comes a monster and he's telling the teacher, like, if he thought I was a monster now, wait till I come out. Like, I'm going to be worse. What do you think could have been done for youth like that? Because well, there's, there's a lot of them, you know? Yeah, I, you know, that's, I think back then when that was occurring, people didn't understand what PTSD was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've been bringing that up, especially with my unit and the Engage 416 uh, initiative that we have. But when we're dealing with these kids, when we're talking to these kids, because we talk to kids that are uh, either in gangs or they're being, uh, they're at risk of becoming gang members. And one of the things that we do offer is PTSD counseling because we know it is such a, a valuable, well, one, it's a valuable tool to get them counseling, uh, just out of anything. But when they've been involved in shootings, whether it's being a witness, a perpetrator, or, uh, you know, or a victim, um, they need that kind of, of help because really you don't understand you, you know, when we grow up, when we're in this world, we think that everything's supposed to be normal. And then when somebody shatters that, we have this, um, we don't understand why. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's part of PTSD. We, we don't understand why the evil of the world is allowed to exist. And, you know, it's hard to process for some kids. And, of course, when you don't know how to process your anger, when you don't know how to process your emotions, mm-hmm. you, you only get, you know, more and more disturbed. And I think that's what would happen probably with this, you know, with, with him, I'm only guessing, right? And that's what the judge was saying. It turned him into a monster. Seeing something like that is not normal. Exactly. It's, it's, it's certainly not. So, and you're saying that it happens on a more and more basis. That's with our project. It was recognized that, you know, PTSD was, was definitely needed. And that's what we're trying to do is anybody that comes into our program that needs the counseling, we get it for them. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Um, I have a quick question. Um, I think it was last year, um, Chief James Raymer, mm-hmm. um, he issued an apology to like the black, indigenous, and racialized people mm-hmm. um, because there was a report that came out that um, there was an overrepresentation of use of force and incidents and strip searches to those people. Do you mm-hmm. remember that report first? first? Sorry? Do you remember that report coming out? It was like a hundred. Uh, you know what? I, I've briefly mm-hmm. and tell you the truth i didn't look too much into it just because we're yeah. immersed into our, our our the integrated gang prevention task force exactly. and other things but yeah yeah so i just want to know like if if you knew by any chance like after that report came out was there like training done like to like the like police like employees like what type of training does like the employees get do they get like this eight like do you guys get trained on like um how to deal with these like not you but like just as a staff is there something that comes out said hey We've done this wrong. Now we're going to teach you how to um, do it right. Like yeah, so we um, uh, so I used to work at the Toronto Police College when I was you know part of my career. I was there and I taught um, you know in our use of force section or our firearm section. But 
you know, being there, it's connected to her and what we call is our academic section session section as well. And uh, when something like that happens, we we automatically we start looking at okay, what do we do wrong? How do we correct it? And uh, from that, we started to build a, a course together to help our officers out to better better understand situations like that. Um, and we we don't look internally for that. Mm-hmm. What do we do wrong? We talk to community members. We, we get community members to actually teach as well. So we get a different perspective. We get a live perspective. We get a different perspective. Uh, and it can be really, really a changing experience. Like I said, when we have conversations, we start to understand people more and more, right? 100%. And, you know, it's not just conversations. There's data that goes along with it. And it explains to us. So if you do something, if you're doing something wrong, we try to correct it. It's always been that case um, I always welcome more training um, on anything and everything. You know, people, you know, I think that, you know, when it comes to training, uh, police officers, like we get retrained with stuff every year. Um, so we have requalifications on on everything that we do. Plus we, you know, when something or an incident like come up, there's a course built into that. Uh, but it, it, it runs through and runs through and runs through. But also we do online training in addition to that as well. So we were, we, we definitely... When something like that happens, when that's identified, uh, this, it, the chief usually does does his due diligence, and he says, "You know what? We're gonna we're gonna take care of this." Just just to add on to that, um, I read a report one day where there's a an officer, female officer, working in a little Jamaica, and she they were they were doing an arrest. She was with her partners, and the gentleman got arrested, and he was like threw up against the car door and I guess they banged his head on the on the windshield or the side of the window and things like that. Um, she actually reported it mm-hmm. and she later on got pretty much called like a rat mm-hmm. by her fellow officers. Um, one of the officers actually put hands on this female officer. He choked her out a little bit. Um, so she reported it to her superiors yeah. and they ended up wiping like dog feces on her windshield and things like that. So um, I know blue silence is a thing that sometimes some officers look out like, hey, you're my buddy, we'll, we'll die for one another, so don't you dare like tell the super on me or don't you get, get me written up or things like that. Just to tie in with, with what he said, how could, first of all, is that something that you, you've seen on the force and is that is there a way to even handle that? Because it seems like more of a brother, brotherhood thing than, than something that can kind of like the chief can kind of, you know what I mean? Because you guys know each other's kids and family members might go to each other's birthdays. So you might be looked at it like, oh, he's affecting my livelihood by by enforcing the law, which is your job. Mm-hmm. First of all, I have never heard of that that situation. I, I, that's brand new to me. But um, I think I haven't heard of that, that incident. So um, I'm not saying that it didn't happen, yeah. but that's uh, outrageous. Um, all I can tell you is there's good and bad cops out there and the majority of us are, are good and we do not like the, the bad cops. And I can tell you that we, you know, if we can get rid of them, we do. Um, it's not always a, it's not a perfect world. Um, it doesn't happen uh, to the, you know, to the point where we do, where it, where it happens all the time. Um, but for most part, there is a, 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 you know, there is people are, the officers are dealt with. We have a internal mechanism that, that uh, you know, where in the police service board, charges for that sort of thing uh i've been lucky enough to tell you the truth not to ever ever been in involved in anything like that or seen it and i think it's part of the you know partly because of the way i operate because i i'm you know i'm 
I have conversations with people and I talk to people and I, if you were to uh, enforce a law on one of your coworkers, would you be called a rat? Um, I'm, that's the culture. It's, it's the same thing with the streets, the street culture, right? I think that happens. Which is, uh, you could see why it's a little bit ironic, right? Like the street culture and the, the law enforcement is kind of similar in a way. In I certain that, instances. Yeah. I think that, that you know, the, the culture of, you know, the, the street culture, it's, you know, there's, I mean, there's death, right? You mm-hmm. get you threatened with death. It's not so uh, here. So it's, ours is more malleable where you can like, you know what, screw you. I'm going to stand up to this, this BS. You know, you're not going to do this in front of me. Gotcha. Um, you know, you know, if it's out in the, the street culture and you're smearing feces on the person's window, I mean, it's a big deal, right? I can take that. It's the same thing there. As long as you have thick skin, you know, when you tell on somebody, I mean, that's, uh, you know, it, it should be done. Because, because the, the thing is, is if you let one behavior go, it's going to continue. It's like a child, right? When you have a child and that behavior, if there's undesirable behavior, if you don't teach that child that, that that's wrong, they're going yeah. to keep on doing it. So yeah. it's really important to address those sort of things. And, and as, as much as I, I think that people believe that that happens, I don't think it does. In my, in my own opinion, I don't think it happens as much as people think it does. You don't feel that way? No. Yeah. That might be me being a little naive, but I, I haven't seen it, right? I haven't no, seen it. Yeah, you, have, you haven't, but it happens. Yeah, I'm telling yeah. you, it there's a lot of, it happens. I've, there's people that, like their whole view, like there's one guy, he's, he's like, he experienced life already, he grew up and stuff, but he's still, mm-hmm. till this day, traumatized from police because of the experience yeah. he had with the cops, you know? Yeah. Like they dealt with him, they dealt with him rough growing up, you know? And he told me himself, like, I was asking, I told him I'm going to have a cop on the episode. Yeah. I'm like, do you feel, and then we're talking about it. I'm like, do you feel there's any good cops? He goes, I don't feel there's cops are good cops until I, I see them arrest another cop, you know? Mm. And he means in terms of, like, a bad cop because of how much bad cops he dealt with in his life. Yeah. Would yeah. you say that something that's common or not too common, like, not arrest he said, he as said far he, as arrest, but like just, just stand well, up, he, hey, like, you, you did your job incorrectly. Is that something that happens in the force from what you've seen in sorry. 20 years? What's that? Just saying, like you've, you've, you're you're dealing with this citizen incorrectly. You know what I mean? We should we should have done it this way or that way. Is that is that the culture kind of in policing right now? Or you know, if if that if you you know, and I've done that. You know, if there's something that you know something did somebody did the wrong way, and maybe it's something they did it because they didn't know any better, or you know, listen, that's that's the way it used to be. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I've talked to my partners about that because that's again, good. like you know, I'm all about you know kids like the you know, kids behavior like if you're gonna let that behavior go you you know you're gonna experience it later on and it may be out of control by the time you know and that's not what i want i don't want a partner that i have to deal with you know that's out of control at some point right mm-hmm. so that's i you know i i and you find it hard to believe but i mean that's for me you know i've never experienced it. i'm not saying it doesn't happen the yeah. thing is is you know you have we have cognitive biases right like what ends up happening if if i Think of something, you know, if I, if I have a belief, I'm always going to believe that's, that's the truth. That's the truth. Because I've never experienced it any, anything else. Too often what happens is we don't think, um, you know, we don't challenge our beliefs, right? And then we think, okay, that, that, that you know, that, 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 that never happens. I don't know. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, critically thinking, maybe it does. I just haven't seen it. I really haven't seen it. In my, and, and so prevalent for me in, this, in, the, in the force, I would say no, because mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen it. Um, and then it goes the other way too. Like you, you, you've seen it. So you would say, okay, that's the only thing I've seen. That's what all of, or your friend, I've seen it. That's the only way the police operate. So I think what we have to have is we have to have conversations where, you know, we have to really kind of open our minds and say, you know, uh, this is, this is what, 
this is the way my thinking is. This is who I am. And, you know, I, I got to give you, you know, you know, a reason for you to believe me, right. Yeah. Um, to be a little bit credible. And, and that's the only thing I can offer is conversation yeah. because, you know, or I can, you know, we can hang out for a couple hours and do stuff like this. Um, but it's a tough subject, right? Again, it's, 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 you know, I'm right. You're right. Um, the other thing too, is like with algorithms that we, you know, we're, that we, we deal with, uh, nowadays, you know, you have subject matter. So if I am a anti-vaxxer and my friend is a, is a vaxxer, when I'm searching on my phone, all I'm going to get mm. is anti-vaxxing. And it's going to substantiate my opinion on anti-vaxxing. Yeah. Confirmation gonna, bias, for yeah, sure. Confirmation yeah, confirmation bias. Yeah. And I'm going to hate hate the other, and that's what's happening, is people are starting to hate groups over other groups. Yeah. We're taking sides. We're no longer the individual. So what happens is now, instead of me being an individual and having this conversation with you, because you're confirmation biased, you have this hate on for police, and you believe this police, and I'm not saying you, but you would you would have this hate on for police because you know what? this is what I believe. I consistently believe that, but algorithms are so dangerous and that's what it's doing to our society. We are no longer, um, the individual, we become groups. And that's, I think that is probably one of the biggest problems that we're dealing with in society today. I think a big part of that is uh, social media. It's yeah. one of the forefront of why people think like this. Like, um, yeah. um, I wanted to kind of switch gears real quick. Sure. Um, I read a report that, um, police shootings and killing police officers is at an unprecedented high in Ontario right now. Um, we've lost a lot of officers. Um, wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we, usually that's something that you see in the States where guys, they shoot police officers and that's kind of the thing that happens over there. What is the outlook like on the force now and how are you guys headed to work now knowing that Canadians are, starting to adopt that and not care and starting to kill officers? Um, so um, to Greg, the last officer that was killed, he wrestled for me. I, I used to coach at York University. Oh, you knew him personally? I knew him personally. I actually was his reference uh, for the OPP. I was referenced for the uh, special constables. I was his reference for... for um, for. Um, I heard somewhere it was his last um, day before he fully... Pro- yeah, uh, well, his probation was over. He, had, you know, he went to a car to. It was in a ditch, and uh, he was there for help. Now, Greg was very capable physically to to handle himself. So he was a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt. He'd wrestled for me. He was he was he he had some skills in wrestling. Really did. Uh, so if it became a physical confrontation, he would have won that. But he had no chance. Uh, it was something that was taken by surprise, right? But getting back to um, you know, what's happening, why it's happening. There's a, there's obviously a few things that are coming into play that contribute to what's going on. And I think, um, there's a lot of hate on the police and I think more so now talk about the algorithms. Um, and I think because of that, it actually makes it easier for people to look, uh, at a uniform and hate them and then offer some sort of, you know, malevolent act towards them. I mean, we've had uh, which I have never heard of in my 20-year career, uh, an officer from our service shot execution style uh, in a restaurant. Was this the uh, one at the uh, Tim Hortons? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, the the perception, uh, you know, has changed of police officers, I think. I think it's easier to cause violence, uh, you know, to them. Uh, I don't know if it's just what we what we talked about because of the 
you know, the social media. I mean, I can tell you I'm on TikTok and there's people on TikTok, uh, they're, they don't hold back. You know, they, they'll, they like one of the, a day after Greg died and I'm on, not sure, sorry, before day Greg died, um, you know, somebody said the only good cop is a good, is a dead cop. Yeah. And, uh, to hear that from somebody that's, that's, you know, we wouldn't utter that conversation. You know, we wouldn't have, uh, nobody in this room would utter that, those words to, to a, a, a police officer or to anybody really. I mm -hmm. mean, um, you know, but to hide behind social media and come out and say stuff like that. And mm. they promote it more and more and it's coming out more and more. So I think, you know, and it's stuff that happens, you know, that, that puts us in a negative light when we have bad cops mm. and they give the public a, a reason to hate us. That's all contributing to something like that. You know, bail reform is, is, is there too, but that's only one piece of the puzzle. There's so many others. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Just to, just to add on to that. Um, mm. As far as bail and sentencing, actually, mm -hmm. um, you have in the States where you do a crime, they give you football numbers, right? Yeah. Now in Canada, you see guys drunk driving, they kill kids. They're back on road five, seven years. Mm -hmm. um, Pedophiles. All these things, mm -hmm. right? And the, the narrative is that the Canadian justice system is a joke. Mm -hmm. That's what everyone says when it comes to sentencing guidelines, right? Let me let me ask you this: the, the some of the kids that you have on here that have have experienced criminal law, what do they think of the the justice system? Have, they, have you ever asked them that question? What do you mean? Like, what do they think of it? Like, is it is is it the, a joke or because that's what you're for, saying? For them, the guys, the guys, guys that are in the streets are always gonna say that they're gonna enjoy the benefits of lighter sentencing, obviously, yeah, right? Because yeah. they're from coming yeah. from the street angle. Yeah. But the people who are seeing like a guy, I'm, I'm sure you're the guy who killed the child and he was a drunk driver and yeah. he was on road, I think five or seven years. Yeah. Those are the stuff that boils our blood because that person shouldn't be allowed to be outside. Yeah. But at the same time, people who are in, you know, York University, UFT will say that longer sentencing doesn't really rehabilitate a person. But another person will be like, we don't want to rehabilitate you if you kill kids or kidnap kids or do... You know what I'm trying to say, like, yeah, because you're just, you're still giving the person three square meals and and shelter, right? And you mentioned yeah. earlier that some people might have a better time in jail, yeah, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, from your angle, what, what would you think is better? Like in the states, like you're really state property; they don't care about you once you do certain crimes. Mm -hmm. But in Canada, it seems like you have so many chances. And does that incentivize people when they before they do a crime or uh, incentivize? People? I don't. I don't think so. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't think so. I think, I mean, um, I think it's, I think part of it's like, okay, well, some people, you know, they, they look at the justice system and they, okay, this is the way it operates. I can keep doing it. But some people, some people are, are obviously scared to go to jail and don't want to do that though. Mm. Um, with the States, I mean, it's a different entity, right? Like that's, they, they have a harsh, they, harsh. They but, kill you. Yeah. Like what, what would your, like capital punishment for an example, like. Well, I think everybody's got, you know, it needs a chance, right? And I think it's everybody, everything should be catered individually. And I think that's what our justice system is trying to do, cater it individually. Um, when it becomes compartmentalized, well, you say, okay, you have to meet A, B, or C, and then we can release you. Uh, or if you, you know, that, that's, that's kind of not fair. Um, I think you really have to take a look at the, the, the case 
and really what needs to be done. That's just my opinion. That's not the, me. The, me personally, I'm yeah. pro capital punishment because <laughs> because some people some people wake up and they want to just kill many people. Like in LA right now, some guy killed ten Asian people at their lunar yeah. festival. Right. Like if they catch that guy, I'm not sure if they caught him right while we're recording right now, but mm. I don't think a person like that should see the light of day. Me mm -hmm. personally, I don't think there's rehabilitation for you. I don't think there's any helping you. You kill 10 people, you change the lives of 10 families. I don't think my tax dollar personally should go to keeping you um, yeah. alive. I think you you lose your privilege to live with us good people on earth. Yeah. Just, personally. Just, just kill him? Huh? Yeah, capital punishment. Yeah. Poor capital punishment. But in, in, in certain cases, because the critique of capital punishment is if you kill somebody, how do I know you 100% did? How, how do I know that there's evidence down the line that says, you know what, we made a mistake. And that happens sometimes, right? Where down the line, DNA evidence comes out that this guy didn't do it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who we see on camera driving through people yeah. at parades and things like that. I, I think we should, you know, end those people's lives personally. Um, but like, just being devil's advocate, help that person, that guy, he's going through stuff like, like, I think it should be a case-by-case -case basis. I I do believe that capital punishment sometimes should happen, but I don't think it should. I think it should be a case-by-case -case basis. When you like, say he's going through stuff like mental, he has a mental he, health issue. Mental health, PTSD, anything. You never know what happened to him the day before. Like, like, he can't be stressed for the day and just go do something like that. No, but you never know what. It, it could have been anything that triggered him. You know, mm -hmm. pretend he already had mental health issues that weren't like, I understand treated. if he already had a mental health issue. Yeah. That, that's, that hasn't that been treated. Know, pretend yeah. he hasn't been treated. Yeah. But if you're telling me something happened to you at work yesterday, Okay, I definitely agree. Off, yes, yes, yeah. do that. No, I think it's circumstance-based. That's all I was trying to say. Mm. You know, then it should be at least on the table, right? If it's some serious mental health, anxiety, depression, some schizophrenia, yeah. bipolar, yeah. at least let's investigate that, but still have that on the table. But there are people who are belong to certain ideologies and groups who, who benefit and who want to kill other people, right? Like... You can't tell me that walking up, a guy walked up into a, a mosque in Quebec, he shot eight people, right? We're not, we're not going to, we can look into his mental health history, but we also have to look into, should this person ever see the light of day again? Or should, or should tax dollars help this person just eat and chill and read books in prison? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's something that should, I think should be on the table for sure. Uh, Sean, mm -hmm. before we wrap up and stuff, I want, like, for people that look at you like a, a cop right now, detective, mm -hmm. people that look at you and think that you look at them, like let's say the rappers in the city or people from different neighborhoods think that had bad experiences with cop or would think like you're, you're looking at them in a way where like, yeah, they should just be in jail or something or they're not doing anything right in life, mm -hmm. you know? What type of message should you give to them? Like someone who automatically look at you right now and be like, why, why should I even discuss anything with a cop, you know? Well, I mean, uh, it's going to be, you know, the way they perceive the uniform and that has to change, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to to, um, to break down that barrier. That's what the neighborhood officer is trying to do. But, you know, with the conversations that I have, I, I try to, you know, show that I'm human because, I'm, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a badge. I'm not a uniform. I'm a person. And I've had some of the same experience. I've had, you know, I talked about earlier about, you know, a time when, I was in California and, and I was going to school at Fresno, California, uh, Fresno City College. And I was down in the cafeteria one morning and uh, went in to go and grab my breakfast. I was sweet on the one girl, the one cashier. I was actually hoping to 
you know, to, to progress in a relationship with her. Yeah. Uh, bought my stuff, sat down with a team, and I sat down with a team. A police officer came over to me and um, said, hey, you come with me. You know, being from a, you know, a foreign land and, and having, you know, student visa. And, you know, okay, okay, yeah. And I respected law enforcement at that point. Um, they pull me into a back room and he starts uh, coming at me and saying, listen, you, uh, you stole a sandwich. Where's the sandwich? And I'm like, I'm perplexed. I have no idea what he's talking about. And in all honesty, and I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, what is he talking about? And he's coming at me more aggressively, you know, more so about it. And I'm just like, I'm still confused. And in my mind, I'm panicking because like, I, he's, am I arrested? I don't know if I'm arrested. I'm not sure if I'm arrested. And then I'm thinking, I'm going to lose my student visa. I'm going to lose my, um, you know, my schooling down here, my scholarship. I'm done. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think what's going on, what's going on. And, um, you know, luckily my teammate comes in and he says, um, you know, I took it. So what had happened is the individual that was, uh, um, <laughs> the lady that had worked behind the counter saw him steal the breakfast sandwich, but then pointed me out to the police officer. Yeah. And that situation, I've always remembered that. Like that, that, like I, that could have really turned me against, um, you know, policing altogether. Yeah. Like I could have have a hate on for police forever, yeah. but um, I didn't. But I try to explain that to some of the, you know, the individuals that have a, have a hate on for the police when it comes to that, because that that wasn't my only time. There was a there was another time too, um, and that was the time when I was I was coming out of a bar drunk, and you know, um, somebody thought I was involved in a fight in the bar. And the police officer stepped on my toes, you know, so you're in a crowd, steps on my toes and starts bumping me with his chest. It was a smaller police officer. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of confused. I'm like, why is this happening? Like, like, what is he doing? You're supposed to represent the good in society, but you're doing this to me. And I'm, I, I didn't think that I had done anything wrong. I was lucky. My friend picked me up and threw me in a cab and I, off I went. But those two incidents could have soured me altogether. And that's what I try to explain to some of these, these kids that have a hate on you know, this, it happens, but you don't have to have that mindset mm -hmm. because if you have that mindset, you're the only person that's, that's living that hate. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is living that hate, yeah. just you and you're internalizing it. If you can get past it, then you can be more productive, right? But if you dwell on, on negative things, you're always going to be in that negative state. If you get past it, you can get past a lot of things. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. I have another question. Sure. In terms of like police officers that are on already charges, like they've been charged for maybe perjury or something. Mm -hmm. or I've seen a case where a guy, his apartment, like police will get, they go into homes, you know, raids when they're doing raids and stuff, mm -hmm. they might get a warrant signed off to a judge. Uh, they might get a, a warrant signed by a judge to go into a home, like a, a unit, mm -hmm. a unit. But then I had one guy, like the police came to his home, mm -hmm. but they had a cop that was on charges already, like charged. He was charged for some stuff. Mm -hmm. But it didn't make, he went to the guy's house and he injured the guy like in the middle of the raid. Mm -hmm. And later on, the lawyer found out like the same cop who injured him. Yeah. He said he was resistant, but the guy wasn't resisting. He was in his bed. Yeah. That same cop who injured him, he was he's on charges already. Mm -hmm. It's like, how could you bring someone like that? That's already like yeah. in the middle of a court case into someone's home yeah. for, uh, for a raid, you know? Mm -hmm. And he left him permanently with like some type of scars and stuff. Okay. How is that allowed, you know? Well... Tell you the truth is not allowed when you're when you're before the courts uh you're supposed to be suspended with without pay so you mm -hmm. shouldn't be uh in that capacity a lot of the times if they are if police officers are working they're charged they're they're suspended with pay so mm -hmm. they're still being paid but they're they're not allowed and they have to report to the station 
every, you know, such and whatever the stipulation is. Um, so I don't know that situation. Um, that was crazy to me. Um, that they, like, but it could be too, you might be confusing with police service act charges mm -hmm. versus court charges. I don't know if that's the case. Police service act charges. You still can, you can still, I believe you can still uh, perform your duties. Well, he was charged. He was, this cop was charged with theft over 50,000. Yeah. Like, I think he took something out of a guy's trunk. Yeah. And uh, perjury. Yeah. I understand. Okay. So I have no knowledge on that whatsoever, mm -hmm. but um, in, in my experience, police officers have been, they've, they've been, um, they they're not allowed to work. The job. Yeah, suspended with, with pay. And that's, yeah. you know, another issue that people have, you know, but, but again, that's what's, that's what's in place. Yeah. For, for people that don't know, what type of traumas have you dealt with personally on the, on the, on the, in the field? Stuff where you just, you looked at it, it kind of messed up your head a little bit. Um, you know, death has that always been, you. Um, something that I, you know, nobody likes to experience death, but I've, you know, I've, I've had to, I don't, I don't, you know, I've been working in, in the area that, you know, that's impacted by gang violence. I've seen a lot of kids that have been shot. I've done CPR on these kids that are trying to save them. And, you know, it's hard to process, you know, when you see a young kid that's been shot, you know, but, but from, for no reason whatsoever, collateral damage or whatever it may be. And you're performing CPR on on the individual, and you and then you, they don't make it. That's probably the toughest that's thing devastating. Um, that I've had to you know deal with something that's preventable. You know, it should have should have not happened. No, that's devastating. Mm -hmm. um, one of the cool things that you're now doing is uh, Project Engage Four One Six. How long have you been doing it? Um, I know that you guys are trying to empower, educate people. Mm -hmm. um, I know you guys have a podcast, stuff like that. Um, yeah. How long have you been doing it? What's the future for that? And like, what, what's the goal? So the, the Project Engage 416, um, we're about, it's a gang prevention uh, initiative. We took this, the comprehensive gang model that was available down in the United States. We took it uh, from them. We modified it to meet the, the diverse needs of, of, of the city of Toronto. Um, so we've, what we've done is we've taken neighborhood teams. So we've built neighborhood teams and these neighborhood teams consist of um, not police officers more they're, they're actually people from the community grassroots agencies businesses uh, housing uh, 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 so counseling health mental health uh, employees people with all these backgrounds right um, and what they do is they they're actually in the community they're already in the community and they um, they locate individuals that are need our services or are already involved in gangs or at risk of gangs and they get our they, they, they get um, they get them identified and then they, they actually bring them to our services, not our services, but our referral program. So we have a referral program where we, you know, okay, if, uh, this person needs PTSD counseling, we get them to PTSD counseling. If they need a job, we get them a job. We don't just get them a job though. We get them a job to their liking because, um, you know, we've talked to people in the community. We're like, you know, if you can't just throw jobs at us, that's not the answer. You got to get a job that actually engages us and that's what we look for so when we do ask the kids in, in, in the neighborhood or any sort of any any people that, that want our services we always try to tailor tailor that situation for them um so the neighborhood teams you know are are, are built but they're also educated as well in, in human trafficking um sexual assault and sexual violence as well as um uh, the drug the, the gang subculture so that they can identify the various risk factors that come into play we call them push and pull factors there's a lot of things that happen in these kids' lives that actually pushes them into a gang or pulls them into a gang. And 
for instance, like pushing somebody or into a gang. Uh, an example of that would be, you know, you have a school where there's two um, gangs, you know, in Jane Finch, we had one of those two gangs and one of the gang is starting to bully one of the kids in the, in the school. Well, that kid has to go and join the other gang for protection. Mm-hmm. That's, that just has to happen, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's inevitable because, you know, and it, he can't operate it within that school without protection. Mm-hmm. Um, the other things that, that, and that's a pull factor. So a push factor could be, um, you know, um, one of the most popular risk factors is poor parental supervision. If there's not a parent at home, Mm-hmm. Uh, or if there's a dysfunctional parental parental unit where maybe they're abuse abusive, maybe they're alcoholics, uh, drug addicts, um, and then that kid has to grow up on their own. And when you have a social control mechanism fail, like this family unit, the next social control mechanism is the school. Mm-hmm. And if these if that kid's not going to school, then it's not there. And that's where we come into play. Is that you know we're the we're the individuals that are the next social control mechanism, the, mm-hmm. the police. Right now, high too. schools is a very crazy place. I'm not sure if you know, like, oh yeah, before yeah, it was yeah. just fighting. Now these kids are bringing guns to school. And yeah, it's ridiculous. I think it's a counselor bad. just that's, got that's, hit in the leg horrible. the other day. Like, I think there's it's unreal. I, I couldn't be a teacher right now if you paid me hundred no, k. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it is bad, and it's it's that's and, and again, that's part of uh, the risk factors too. And you know, there's actually various headings. There's five risk, six risk uh, uh, headings for the risk factors. But one's under school. And, uh, you know, you'll have uh, uh, poor uh, educational attainment uh, or outlooks on attaining a a degree, uh, poor uh, role models within the school, uh, poor uh, teacher role models within the school. Um, Teachers, you know, uh, I forget what the wording is, but it's like teachers, uh, you know, singling out kids in regards to their being not performing well. Um, it's just, it's, it, there's a whole things that come to come into play. I and mean, that's the thing too, as well as these neighborhood teams, once we teach them about the risk factors, they actually can, can set up the, the proper services to actually treat some of these risk factors. So if they have, you know, a, a you know, a, a dysfunctional family, they can get the family counseling, you know, and sometimes the family will take it. Sometimes they won't. Yeah. Uh, if the father or mother has drug addiction, we get them that as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if mom doesn't have a job, we get that as well. So we try to get you know nice. things in place so that they can they can become more sufficient. They can nice. start fighting this this um, these push and pull factors. And these push and pull factors aren't something that we came up with. The gang subculture has been studied for years and years and years, and it's this comes from academia. Um, the comprehensive gang model uh, utilizes it, and uh, and that's one of the that's what we we based our model on. And we've had some success. We have about eighteen hundred people, uh, and that's not officially the number, but uh, about eighteen hundred people enrolled in our referral service program already. So you can imagine, you know, um, and I'm and and it's not like they, it's successful, but we can be more successful. We're only operating in in three divisions currently. What we're looking to do in March is to expand to the entire city. Um, I know our chief is is very supportive of our unit, um, so we're looking we're looking at, at at expanding if we can. We're funded by the the proceeds of crime grant, so it's not all police budget. It's actually we have, we apply for the for the government to get the funding. So hopefully we can get that funding come uh, come March, and if we're successful, we'll we're going to try to roll it out the entire city, and we'll help more. More people, more kids. Nice. Two more things before you wrap up. Mm-hmm. With rappers and live shows, how do we get them to get live shows? Because their live shows, like I always hear them complaining about online about how show got canceled. Toronto police, Toronto police. 
show got canceled. I don't oh. know how much you know about that, but how could we no. have successful shows? Tell you the truth, I don't know much about it because um, I'm not involved in that capacity. Like mm-hmm. um, that would have been like event or event coordinators or stuff like that. And I think they would, you know, if there was an issue with promoter, if there's an issue with the the artist, I think that would come into maybe come into play. I'm not sure. Tell you the truth, and that would be incumbent upon the promoter or, or uh, artist to kind of have conversations with the with the police i don't know okay uh, yeah freedom convoy last thing <laughs> they, they, they hate the police <laughs> oh god you know what i get that question about the freedom convoy every um every almost every live stream that i go on on tiktok more so um i had nothing to do with it i wasn't up there i have friends that uh, were up there too uh protest and i have yeah. friends that um you know they say um, they're trudeau's goons that's what they yeah. call them now <laughs> yeah, yeah um <laughs> but i have friends that actually live up there and they uh, they didn't like the fact that it was occurring yeah. um you know every canadian has the right to peaceful protest as long as the protest is peaceful um you know i think that's the way we sh- things could operate because protests were invented for when things you know when, when things weren't working our way um, we needed to have a voice, right? So, and that's why peaceful protest, the peaceful protest and protest were, was, you know, put into the laws, right? Um, so once you step outside the boundary, then we have issues. And I think that's where the police were coming, coming in. But again, um, I think it was mis, mismanaged at, at some aspects, whether I wasn't there, you know, to experience, I don't know. Who made the decisions? Who didn't make the decisions? You know, who dropped the ball? Who did? I think was... the Toronto police handled it much better than the Ottawa police. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Ottawa, they seem like they actually took over the city a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. I know. I, I like I the complaints I heard from the people that lived in Ottawa is that in, the police didn't do enough. The complaints I hear from the people that were there is that the, the police were doing too much. My friend who uh, I know who went up there to support it and was there, he said it was very peaceful nothing was we didn't nobody no we he goes we had conversations with police officers they they were up there they were fine um the news is showing whatever yeah. they want yeah so the, and the news the, the news will do that right i mean we're, we're starting i think i think in this day and age we're starting to realize just how how media can portray twist an incident twist is yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well sean thank you i appreciate you coming appreciate through it, mm-hmm. we truly appreciate you taking the time you don't have to taking the time with us yeah uh it's been a good one well, you know what? I, I appreciate you having me on here and, you know, having the conversation. And, and you know, we touched on a few things that, you know, that maybe some people won't want to, don't want to talk about. Um, but I think sometimes we have to have bigger conversations to get things done. And, you know, I think that your podcast is, uh, you know, is doing that. So I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate it. Whatever you need. If we can help with the, with the programs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's over here. We want to. Okay. Let us know. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have uh, a town hall meeting on uh february 13th in the weston community hub so i don't know if you guys want to promote that but we want people from the community to come in we want to hear their voices on bail reform no for sure uh, see what they want they, they want to happen not just what we want sorry what we want to happen as police officers we want to know what the community wants really? get a better perspective when everybody's involved right amazing because i you know for me 100%. i have Good. a different perspective on life than than you do yeah right yeah but when we start talking, maybe we can share the same ideas. Maybe exactly. we can reach the same goal. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So. Thank you very much, Sean. No, Appreciate thank you. It. Appreciate That's it. Voices from the Staircase. Mm-hmm. That's another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, your ads. You want to give your ads? 
Um, yeah, IG, stuff? Yeah, IG TikTok. Oh, uh, yeah. You can follow me on uh, TPS Shreky. That's Shrek, like the uh, the green guy. <laughs> it's because I, I look like Shrek. Yeah. Um, that's on uh, Instagram and Twitter. I'm badge duty at TikTok. Uh, please, if you're going to follow me on TikTok, be friendly because I get <laughs> enough people that, that aren't friendly. Um, but I'm a big boy. I can, I can take it. Um, and then uh, I, we have a YouTube channel, any Engage 416 YouTube channel. We do Engage interviews similar to yours. We've yeah. had guests uh, from the community. Um, what I try to do is I try to pull friends to that, that have faced adversity. Like I was talking to you. I have a friend from the, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, Frank Shamrock. He came on and talked about his stuff. Uh, Claude Patrick, who is a who I cornered at the UFC, but all these guys have faced of your, uh, adversity and overcame it, and that's one of the nice. reasons why I do that. But engage nice. four one six uh, YouTube channel. Nice, YouTube. everyone, follow, yeah. follow, follow, comment, like, subscribe, everything. Comment, like, subscribe to us too. Voices from the staircase, love. That's another one. Twenty twenty three, all gas, no brakes. This is the year. My <laughs> pressure. Nice. I like it. Thank you very much. Uh, no, thank you. I hear him coming to the case. He's just trying to poke, I'm trying to light up his